This is a recording of a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. Uh, but let's, let's do this. Uh, before we begin, before we dive into uh, uh, the, the Bible and the teaching tonight, if you have a Bible, by the way, we're going to be in Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. Uh, if you guys want to just kind of bookmark those. But before we dive into that, uh, let's pray. Let's just, uh, I know we've done a little bit of that already. Um, but we like to pray and pray again. If you're if you're new to this whole church thing, Christianity thing, uh, prayer is just a kind of a fancy way to t- say conversation. It's a fancy way to say communication with the Lord. So let's just talk to God. We believe He's here. He's alive. He's living. So let's have a let's have a conversation with Him. You guys want to bow your heads with us? Father, we thank you so much for tonight. Lord, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you are with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be so uh, present. Lord, we, as we dive into scripture that is very uh, uh, is old and written in a different language, Lord, you told us, though, that this, these scriptures are alive and they matter and they give life. So, Lord, I pray you'd open up our hearts, open up our minds tonight, Lord, as we dive into, into scripture, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Uh, do, do you have any Star Wars fans in the room? Don't be ashamed. Because any like midnight premiere people who are in there, don't be ashamed. Come on, you got to be proud. And there's some closet ones. Um, any, any, any like pseudo Star Wars fans, like you enjoy the movies, you'll go and see them, right? That, that's kind of that's me. I love Star Wars. I think I've seen them all. But I really don't know what's going on. Anyone else in the room? Like, there's the people who really know what's going on, and you've read the books kind of around the stories, and you know, and you're tracking. And I remember I went and saw uh, the Star Wars, uh, the most recent one with my brother-in-law, and I just leaned over and asked him a question like, so this person's like Han Solo's son? And he looks at me like I'm an idiot. Like, he's like, Are you, you're joking right now, aren't you? I'm like, totally. Yeah, it's a joke. Of course I know Han Solo so-and-so's dad, because everyone knows that, apparently. And, uh, but I just, in the whole time, I'm just trying to figure stuff out, because they come out every two years. I almost supposed to remember everything that I learned in the last video, because it's just so foreign to me. But I love it, and I'm entertained. And, and I think sometimes we can approach scripture like that, or we come into church like that, where we hear language and stories that it's kind of like, your joke, you know that, right? You've heard that story before. But for some of us, and it doesn't matter how, how much you've gone to church, how much you read the scripture, chances are we approach the story of God, the scriptures, a little bit off. And, and just for a few reasons. One, uh, this was written a very long time ago, thousands of years ago, actually. It was written by over 40 different authors and there's 66 books. It's really more of, of a collection or a library of books. And in these books, there's different genres. And in these weren't just written in one time period over one region, but over many regions and time periods. And then there's a different language. So if there's any of us who come and approach the scriptures in kind of an attitude of like, I got this, the chances are we're maybe slightly off. And so... At Light Church, we, this is important to us. This book right here is really, it matters and it shapes what we do here. It shapes the community around here. But we all want to approach it like students. 
right? That, that there are things in this that we may know that we need to actually unlearn so that we can learn it appropriately. One of my favorite quotes is that uh, the Bible can never mean what it never meant. And so oftentimes when scripture is presented, it's presented almost like an encyclopedia or it's like the social media version, little snippets, like here's a verse, here's a verse. But I'd like to propose to you tonight that rather than looking at this as kind of an encyclopedia of morality or spirituality, that this is a story. One unified, redemptive story. And if you're like, well, how could that be? How, how is that possible that that many authors over that long a time in that different languages and contexts could create a single story? And my answer to you would be, God must have had his hand in it. Because I have spent the last... 15 years of my life uh, spending thousands of dollars on education and hours studying over this. And the more I study it, the more I read it, the more I'm convinced that this is telling the greatest story, the greatest love story that has ever been written in the existence of humanity. And, and just, to, just to prove it, just a little bit, not that we can prove it all tonight because we only have a few minutes, but I, again, I haven't preached in a long time, so it might be more than that. Uh, the very first book of the Bible begins with something being created. And the very first thing that is created in Genesis chapter 1, pop quiz is, you might, you might have a clue based on where you are. It's light. The very first thing that is created, the very first verses of the Bible is light. If you turn in your Bible all the way to the very end in the book of Revelation, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible ends with a theme of light. And the very first thing that God created was light. And what I love how scripture ends is this statement, or one of the things it ends with is a statement that says, and the sun will be no more. Remind me, this is before people had any concept of stars and universes and things like this, but the sun was their source of everything. It says the sun will be no more because the lamb, referring to Jesus, will be their lamp. And so the story of light is in the very first breaths of creation. And not only is it at the very end of Scripture, but it says it will never end. See, light, one of the reasons why this is called Light Church is we see this as, as one of the main themes of scripture and one of the main themes of the story of God that doesn't never gets left out it's never extinguished a matter of fact and we'll learn about this a little bit more tonight but when Jesus shows up kind of in the middle of this book and shows up into the human story he refers to himself as the true light as I am the true light and darkness could not overcome it and so we're, all of us, we're in this story, right? We're in this narrative of, of light, whether we know it or not. Our lives are governed by the rhythms and the cycles of light, of the sun and the moon. We all conduct our stories based on the narrative of light. Well, Jesus shows up knowing that not only is there light, but there's darkness as well, because everyone, if you've lived more than five seconds, have experienced both. And he shows up and not, he doesn't say darkness doesn't exist. He just says that the darkness that does exist will not be overcome by the light that is now here. So light church is not uh, an expression to say that there is no darkness. This is a club for happy people. No tears, no sorrow. No, no. This is a proclamation of hope. 
that in the midst of darkness, whatever that darkness may look like in your life, it's an acknowledgement of it, but it's also a prophetic promise that the light has come, and whatever darkness you are facing, it is not more powerful than the true light, who is Jesus Christ. And this is why we're here. This is the story we will tell, is the story of light is the narrative of light that we are not just going to learn, but we live. We live and breathe this story. And so I thought, well, what a better way to unpack what the story of God is rather than going verse by verse for the next 20 years is what if we just took the elements of story? Anyone, anyone love film? You love movies? You love reading? Anyone love stories? You're all lying because you haven't raised your hand. Because every one of you... Every one of us loves story. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, what age you've been in, it's, we wrap ourselves around narrative. And nowadays, it's through movies or TV shows or Netflix, praise the Lord. My God is good. In Jesus' day, it was parables. In the Old Testament, it was around the campfire when tribes would tell their stories of, of old. So we're going to look at the... But every story has different elements, no matter what culture, age, kind of story you have, that kind of make up the story. There's six of them. I think it might be on the, on the screen. And we're going to break these down in the story of light in the Bible, the story of God. And it goes like this. The number, number one that's in every single story is there's characters. There's characters in every single story. Next, every story has a setting. Every good, I should say, every good story has these elements. Every good story has a setting. Every good story has foreshadowing. There is a sense. You know when the kind of the music starts playing a little bit darker and you know something's about to happen? Every great story has conflict. When's the last time you went to the movies and you go and watch, you know, John and Betty get married? have a golden retriever, 2.5 kids, a station wagon, and a home, and then the credits roll. No one watches that story, right? Even Hallmark has conflict. <laughs> you can't escape it. Every great story has conflict in it. Every great story has a climax where that conflict begins to meet, met with hope. And people disagree on this. I believe every great story, every true story has resolution. And every story, every movie I watch that has no resolution, I just get, I'm just angry, right? I'm like, come on. Like, even if it's not the resolution I want it, like, let it resolve. And what's amazing is these six things that govern story are present in Scripture. So for the next six weeks, we're going to go over the six themes of story, and we're going to see how the narrative of light plays out with these different things. So again, if you're new to church, if this is super like, man, I, just coming to church is a big deal, I'm glad you're here. And I, I would like to present to you that the next six weeks could be very important to you, because uh, it might present the, the scriptures and, and the Bible in just a different light, rather than like, I don't know where to begin, it just seems like a bunch of do's and don'ts. Would we all, as a community, find ourselves wrapped up in this story, in this narrative of light? Does that sound good? So tonight, tonight is about the characters. Who are the characters of this story, of the story of God, the story of light? And so there's no better place to begin than the beginning, right? So if you guys have your Bibles, um, you guys can turn to Genesis 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's free apps all over the place that you can download one. 
Um, if you don't have one, we have one for you tonight. We'd love to give you. Just find us after service. We'd love to put one in your hand. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a, a brief story. In 1968, the NASA space program was kind of at an all-time uh, high as far as popularity. It was during the kind of the race to the moon with, between America and Russia, and Apollo 8 was just launched. And it was the first time in the history of humanity where mankind left the Earth's orbit, and then they entered into the moon's orbit, and they circled the moon three times. And as they're circling, they come up with the brilliant idea that they're going to do a live broadcast down to Earth. Think about this. I mean, how cool are they? 1968. So on Christmas Eve, 1968, it becomes the most watched televised experience that's ever been. I mean, who's going to miss that? They're about to see live footage of the planet they're inhabiting for the first time. This is huge. So there's not a single child, grandma, grandpa, golden retriever who's not huddled around the TV to take a look at this little blue, maybe black and white dot on their screen. And, you're, and there's three astronauts on this, on this shuttle, on this mission. And as they're, going, as they're going about, Commander Frank Bowman, Commander Module Pilot James Laval, and then the pilot William Anders sit there. And can you imagine, they're like, okay, what do we say? What do you say to America as they get to witness their planet? This is what they said. They opened up the Bible and they read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. The astronauts continued to read on to the next ten verses. If you can look it up. And in the most televised moment in American history, at the height of technological advancement at the greatest progression of mankind when they cannot think of anything to say. They are wrapped up into a poem that was written millennia ago and they can't find anything else to say except for in the beginning. God created all of this. The main character of this story is, was, always will be God. Now, that, that might sound elementary to you, but I would challenge you in that most of us, if we were to take inventory of our lives and our heart, and we were to say, okay, well, who's the main character of my life? Most of us, if we're honest, including myself, would be me. I am the main character of my life. Culture has given me permission to think that. The movies that I watch and the music that I listen to and the, the te things that teachers have taught me is that I can become anything I want to be. And, and, I have a and even within church, I have a calling by God to do something with my life. And, and sure enough, our spirituality and sociology and psychology is wrapped around this idea that we are the main character of our own story. But what Genesis 1 is an assault against that philosophy. 
is that if we take a step back, who actually is the main character, not just of the Bible, but of the universe, is God. He was at the beginning before there was even time itself. And he will exist forever and ever along with his people. But that the entire story and the universe and his people revolve around the fact that he is God. Now this is huge. What would happen if we believe as his people and as a church, as a new church, what if we shaped our church around the idea that God's the main character of it? Not the pastor, not the preacher, not the worship team, not the community groups. It's it's God. It's all about him. It all goes back to him. Uh, When I was young, I had a friend who got into acting early. And uh, he, he got into the, the movie Daredevil. Do you guys remember? It was one of the first comic movies that ever came out. And he, he scored the role as the little boy Daredevil before he grew up. So he's a blind child. And so all of us are like, dude, you're in a movie. Like he immediately grew like three points in the cool factors as a kid, right? Like no one's cooler than a guy in a movie. So we all go to his house, his name was Luke, and we're sitting around his TV, and he got an early release of the, of the, of the VHS tape, and we're sitting there, and we're about to watch Daredevil. And within the first 10 minutes, here comes the scene, and everyone's like, shh, here we go. Like, oh, Luke, that's you, that's you. And he's walking in the alleyway, and he beats up some guys, and we're like, that's amazing, wow, that's so incredible. I kid you not, as soon as the scene was done, we said, are, there any, are you in any more scenes? He says, nope. We turned it off and went outside. And to this day, I've never seen the rest of the movie. That is, that's all of us, isn't it? This is my scene. This is where I show up. This is, it's about me. And, and because of, it was all about Luke, we didn't even catch the story. And, and I'm afraid that even those of us who may have been in and out of church, sometimes we become so enamored with this idea of where do I fit in this story, and we'll talk about that in a second, that we miss the whole story altogether. The main character was, is, and has to be God, which, which drives a, a, a pretty, very, very important question. Does that terrify you or excite you? Does, does God being the main character of the story terrify you or excite your heart? And that all can be answered by, well, who is God? If God is a, a, a tyrannical dictator leader, it terrifies you. If God is the, the coach that made you run another lap just to try and get better and perform better, it terrifies you. If God's the absent father that never showed up, it terrifies you. But what's so amazing about the very first verse of the Bible is it gives us a very big clue of who this God is. That the entire world out there, and I love Encinitas because they're taking guesses all the time about who God is, including it's you. But the very first words of the Bible gives us a clue. It says, in the beginning was God, and, and it talks about that this spirit was hovering over the deep. I think we have a slide. There's this there's this triuneness to God. It says, and this, this creator who had a spirit hovering over the water spoke a word. It, it, there's a word present, right? And in this, there is this, this picture that there is this really a relational presence at the very beginning of creation. It is one God, but this one God, the very first description of it gives us these clues that there is something more dynamic and relational about this God. Now, if you can stick with me here. If I were to tell you 
in one word, how do you know who God is? I would just tell you the word Jesus. Amen. He knows. He hasn't sinned yet. He knows. So if you can have one concept in your mind of what God is, it's not in your mind because every one of us has that. Every one of us has one of those presuppositions. Don't think about that just for a second. What if it's Jesus? Jesus, the, the, the Jesus of Nazareth that walked the roads of Galilee and Jerusalem, who, who had dinner and supper with prostitutes and tax collectors, who healed the leper and the blind, and who freely offered himself on the cross, who would take off his rabbinical robe to tie a, a servant's towel around his waist to rub the dirt off of a traitor's feet. That is God. And I'm not coming up with this stuff. It says it right here in Scripture. Colossians 1.15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the, if you want to know what God looks like, we get to look at Jesus. If you skip down to verse 19 in Colossians, it says, For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. That means there is not an ounce of God that we cannot find in Jesus. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Remember I told you to turn to John chapter 1? So Genesis chapter 1 is the beginning of the Old Testament. John chapter 1 is writes and opens up its letter and its gospel, mimicking Genesis chapter 1. This is what he says. In the beginning, sound familiar? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. We just read that, right? It's how everything came into being. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made that, he, that has been made. It, in him, listen to this, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love those words. In the beginning, this word that was spoken was with God, but it was God. That word was the Logos. It was Jesus, and that fullness of God was dwelling within him. And I think if we begin to start understanding that not only is God kind of this, this kind of undefined being or force is the center of our story, but Jesus is the center of our story. Everything changes. This is what Michael Reeves quotes in his book, Rejoicing in Christ. And I always want to just read this quote to you guys. I think it might be on the screen. It says this, let us then be rid of that horrid sly idea that behind Jesus, the friend of sinners, there is some more sinister being, one thinner on compassion and grace. There cannot be. Jesus is the word. He is one with his father. He is the radiance, the glow, the glory of who his father is. If God is like Jesus, then though I am sinful like the thief on the cross, I can dare to cry, remember me. I know how he will respond. Though I am spiritually lame and leprous, I can call out to him, for I know just what he is like toward the weak and the sick. In him we see the true meaning of love. That is at the center of your story. And for me, that does not terrify me. It liberates me. What I have found is that the more I place myself at the center of my story, 
the more anxious I become, the more I work to gain the approval of others, the more I strive to get something that never feels complete. But when Jesus becomes the center of my story, I'm liberated. But again, it begs the question, which is kind of our second point tonight, is, well, what's our role? Do we have a role in this? What kind of role do we play? Are we an extra? Do we have a, a cameo? Like, what do, are we like best supporting actor or actress? I mean, what's our role in the story of God? And this is what's crazy, right? Because God doesn't ever really need us if he's all sufficient. But this is what's crazy. In the very first, chapters of, uh, first chapter of Genesis and the first chapter of John, it tells us our role in this. Genesis 1, 26, if you skip down to 26, verse 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I quote this verse if I ever see a shark when I'm surfing. I just let him know, okay? I rule over you. Anyways, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is crazy, okay? This is what in Latin they call the imago Dei. This is a huge theological concept. But when God created mankind, he made them in his image. Now, this is a big deal because every single ancient civilization had a creation narrative. Every one. And every single one went something like this. The gods were angry. This person slept with this person. There was some fight and war, and then out came humanity out of the chaos. But the Judeo-Christian narrative says something radically different. It says when God spoke humanity into existence, he made him in his image. Now, every culture had carved images of what their God looked like. Maybe it was some sort of thing in nature or it was some sort of kind of beast, human kind of things like we see in Egypt. But every culture had an image carved of their God. But God says, not so with you. If the world wants to know what I look like, I want them to look at you. You are the image of me. I mean, you want to talk about a significant role in a significant story. We are the Imago Dei. We are the image of God. He says, who do I want to play me on earth? I'll choose humanity. I mean, what what a dignified honor to carry that as a part of our role in the story of life. And you can imagine what happens when the Imago Dei becomes disrupted. Racism happens. Human trafficking happens. Bullying happens when we begin to lose sight that every single person was made in the image of God. Horrific things happen. But when we begin to start viewing everyone else, and this may be the hardest part, but ourselves as well, created with this intrinsic dignity and value, everything changes. I have a friend named, named Chris, who's married to Rose, who you saw up here earlier. They are our lovely Australian friends. And Chris is a performance coach, is actually what he's on his way to do right now. And a performance coach, um, I hope he doesn't mind me telling you some of these things, but he gets to work with executives and CEOs for some pretty important companies. And his job is to teach them how to perform better. 
sleep better, have better success at their business, have better family lives, and they have this whole kind of relational science to how to perform better as an individual. And so I'm out surfing with Chris a few months back, and I'm like, I'm going to learn this guy's secrets. So I'm like, so Chris, how, what do you tell these people? You know? What do you, what do you tell these people? And he, and he says, he says, one of the greatest things we can tell them is you will never outperform the narrative you tell about yourself. I'm like, that's good. I'm like, I wish I could write that down when I'm in the water. He's like, you'll never become more or do more than what you believe about yourself. And he's like, and he's like take the Raiders, for instance. I'm like, perfect example. Um, I may not be a Chargers fan anymore, but I still hate the Raiders. So... I did, that part didn't leave with the Chargers. Um, but anyways, he's working with the, Char the Raiders. And remember when the Raiders started winning a couple years back? It was the same year that his company started working with their GMs and their coaches. And the, what the, nar the narrative the Raiders believed about themselves is we are a sloppy football team, but we'll mess you up in the back alley. That was their narrative. They believed about themselves. And they go in there, and, and rather than getting better players or changing their coaching strategy, they start changing the narrative they believed about themselves. And they started to win. But you know what's great? You don't have to come up with your own narrative. God already told you yours. My friends, you were made in the image of God. You are not the summation of the lack of performance or your failures. You are not your past or your history. You were made with a beautiful, divine intent that God put you on this planet to carry about his beautiful, redemptive story. And the thing that the enemy would want to do more than anything else is to convince you that, yes, but not you. You don't belong in that story. Just go ahead and try and be the own main character of your own story rather than playing a better role in a better story that God already told you you get to play. You were made in the image of God. And, and I, know, I know there's a tension. I know that you're like, well, I don't feel like that. What I feel like is I feel that there is something inside me that feels broken and unsettled, and I don't know how to fix it. And Jesus knew that because something interrupted this relationship. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But he said, I'm not going to leave it that way. So when he entered into the world, not only did he say, I'm the light, but he begins to start talking about us. And in John 1, 9 through 13, he speaks this to the broken Imago Dei, the broken people who carry his image. And he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made through him. The world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus came entering into the world because he knew that you were living in a broken story and you were a broken character. And the only way to bring that back into cohesion was through him. I'm glad you're here tonight. And I don't know everything that's going on in your life, and I don't want to sound presumptuous. 
But if you're anything like me, you know that there is this constant tug and war of light and dark. And I pray that tonight we are reminded through the scriptures that Jesus came to restore order. The Jews call it shalom. Everything in its right order. And that right order looks like this, that Jesus is at the center of our story. And that that does not mean that we have a lesser role, but rather we get to wear a greater sense of identity and authority that he gave us through the cross. And that when we walk in that and we live in that, we become renewed. And I hope for those of you in here tonight who don't know what that looks like, that tonight's the night that changes everything. I hope tonight, and all it looks like according to John chapter 1, is it's something that you receive. You don't have to do anything. It's just receiving. And I know sometimes receiving can be even harder than giving, but you cannot give your way into wholeness. They say that you can't give your way, you can't perform your way into wholeness. You coming here tonight did not make you whole. Jesus makes you whole. And all you have to do is receive that. Receive that true light that although darkness may be present, it won't ever overcome that light that's inside. I'm going to invite Evan to come up. He's going to play. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to, we're going to respond uh, to what we just heard. Not a sermon, but hopefully what God's speaking to you. And, uh, and for time's sake, I'll, I'll just give the brief instructions on this. There's communion in the front and in the back. Uh, you are given a note card for you to draw pictures or take notes. Um, you can come and, and take this bread, which represents Jesus' body, and this cup that represents his blood, and which represents his sacrifice of love for you. Um, Maybe you just need to sit down and write down what God's speaking to your heart. Maybe you need to worship to, to a song that we're going to be singing here in a moment. But just for the next, let's just say two, three minutes. Let's just take what we've heard and let's reorient this idea of the narrative we tell ourselves, the narrative we believe about the world, and let's ask God to rearrange it to where it's right again. And in a couple of minutes, we'll, we'll come up and we'll dismiss you. But let's just, I'm going to get out of the way. And let's just let you and God have a moment. And I'd encourage you, maybe even if you are tempted to want to just talk to your neighbor, kind of check out, this, I think this is an important moment. So would you just kind of press in, maybe the first time in your week or maybe the first time in months, you just have a quiet moment with the Lord and partake in communion or write something down or, or worship him in a, in a new way. Can we do that? Okay, let's, let's engage with the Lord.